0: Since we joined YouTube, we've been getting a ton of questions in the comments and also via our Instagram, via Twitter and via email. And today is the second part of a two-part series when we answer as many of the questions as possible. And we love answering your questions because they help us to improve the content that we provide for you. And also we know how much it helps you and how popular the questions episodes are. So today we are going to be talking if my buy-to-let property is no longer profitable, should you sell it? And what's the tax implications of selling it? Why might you not want to put your furnished holiday let into a limited company? And that is just insanely good tax knowledge that I had no idea about. Do you need to charge VAT on your holiday let? And if you earn some money from abroad, overseas holiday let, do you need to pay UK tax on it? Then we're going to go on to some GP-specific things such as don't do work for free by claiming what's called PA items. Hopefully you know about that if you're a GP partner, but if you don't, you need to listen. And we talk again about the implications of a non 31st of March year end. So if you're a GP partner, you need to check that out because that is something that your accountant should be flagging up to you. Also talk about implications of leasing your GP practice and stamp duty, which is a really common question. So Thanks so much for sending in your questions and we really love doing episodes like this. So keep the questions coming. We read them all and we use them to improve the content that we like. New episodes come out every Tuesday. So don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you are a GP partner, don't forget the next installment, the sixth cohort of our GP partnership course starts on the 27th of September. Go to medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course, fill in the application form. And if we think you're a good fit for the course, We'll get back to you. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for subscribing. Thanks so much for sending in your questions. Let's get into today's Mammoth episode. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP, and by me, Dr. Ed Cantilow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So another tax that is often misunderstood and that more and more people are paying these days is inheritance tax. So why is inheritance tax so often misunderstood and what are some simple steps that our listeners and viewers can take to mitigate the effect?
1: Well, we're being asked more and more about this. I think it's coming into people's sort of focus more. I think The Telegraph at the moment are running a let's get rid of inheritance tax campaign. And, you know, it's costing more and more people more and more money, especially, I suppose, in the southeast of England with house prices and everything. And it's one of these things which everybody knows a little bit about. And that's a little bit of a dangerous thing because people think, well, I know about this. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to avoid the tax. And often it's wrong. So what I thought I'd do is just go through a very simple example of something we did last month my colleague dealt with this last month with a client a very simple example to say show you how you could save you know quite a considerable amount of tax but with inheritance tax you always have to do everything properly you've got to dot the i's and cross the t's and often legal agreements have to be done and it's quite a lot of compliance work that often has to be done with inheritance tax. But let me just go through this very simple example. Now, most couples, husband and wife, have a million pounds worth of inheritance tax allowance. Everybody has 325,000 each. So two times that is 650. And if you have a home or a house, then everybody has what's called a residential nil rate band that's worth 175. 175. So 175 times two is 350. 350 plus 650 is a million quid. This is the million pounds that the Tories introduced. I think was it George Osborne introduced a few years ago and said, you're only going to pay inheritance tax if you have assets in excess of a million pounds. Well, that's not that much assets these days, especially if you've benefited from property price rises in the south of England. So we had a client who had, I think, an estate of 1.4 million. And the main assets in that were, uh, were his house where he lived, his home. And he also had a holiday home, which he visited not that often, but occasionally. And he said, look, what can I do? What will my inheritance tax be? Well, 1.4 million, less a million is 400,000. Multiply it by 40%, which is the inheritance tax rate. On a second death, that couple would have a liability of 160,000 pounds. So quite a lot of money in anybody's book, I would say. Okay. Okay. So we talked to them about the situation, talked to them about the holiday home, how often do you use it, what would you want to do, who are you going to leave your assets to. And it came to light that they didn't use a holiday home very much. Their kids used it and their grandchildren used it more than they did, in fact. And I asked, or my colleague asked them, well, look, how would you feel about giving the holiday home, by the way, didn't have a mortgage on it or anything. And my colleague said to them, well, look, why don't you give the holiday home to your children? If they use it, you know, adult grown-up children, if you use it now, if they use it more than you do. And my colleague said, look, if you give it to them and you survive seven years, there'll be no inheritance tax payable on that. There wasn't any capital gain on this. That's quite important as well. On this holiday home, there wasn't any capital gains to be paid. That's quite important. And there wasn't any stamp duty to be paid because it was a gift. So what they did was they gave the holiday home to their kids. And that reduced their estate to a million. And therefore, there's no inheritance tax payable on that. Now, the thing you've got to realise in that, they can't continue to use that home as a holiday home. If they use it as a holiday home, they have to pay market rent. They can't gain any advantage. So they have to pay their children market rent to use the holiday home. So that's a disadvantage of it. So, you know, that's quite important. If they didn't do that, they would have reserved a benefit and the planning probably wouldn't work. So that's just a very simple case whereby giving, you know, being very practical about it, by give that wouldn't have worked in everybody's circumstances. For example, if there was a large capital gain on the holiday home, it might not have worked or you might have to have done something else. But in those circumstances, you got all your ducks in a row, gave that holiday home to your kids. You'd save, you know, on the face of it, 160000 on a second death from inheritance tax. And the drawback was that you can't reserve a benefit. You had to pay for the use of the holiday. So that's just a very simple example of how, you know, it's sometimes it's, it can be not that difficult to save inheritance tax. People often say the very wealthy don't pay it, it's paid by the middle classes, and that is true. But even the middle classes can do some very simple and practical things to save inheritance tax if they think about it. Again, people often don't think about it until it's too late. And so, so that's just a simple example. The relief that I'd say is quite misunderstood is the residential nil rate band. What I would say about that is that you cannot use it against buy-to-let properties. I've heard that loads of times. People have buy-to-let properties that they've never lived in. That will not gain the benefit of the residential nil rate band. And also, in order to use a residential nil rate band, I feel this is getting a bit complicated now. The asset that you're claiming against has to be in your estate. You can't give it away and not survive seven years. In that case, you can't use the residential nil rate band. I just feel this is getting too complicated now, Tommy, so I'll finish. So what I would say is, though, inheritance tax, if that's an issue that you're concerned about, then you should get in touch with your tax advisor or your accountant, because often very simple steps can be taken that can save substantial amounts of
0: tax. Yeah it is getting complicated but the listeners and viewers ask the questions so we're just providing a service okay. by answering the questions.
1: All right. <laughs> but again all these things it's your individual circumstances is important it's how you feel about things. Yeah absolutely definitely
0: and obviously seek individual financial advice from an expert particular to your own circumstances. A lot of questions we get is about holiday homes and investment properties. And we might be getting less questions about this given the state of interest rates and the mortgage market at the moment. But I mean, some of these questions are related to that. So question number one, is my buy-to-let property no longer profitable? Should I just sell it?
1: Well, that's what a lot of people are doing because landlords of buy-to-let properties, particularly accidental landlords, perhaps they've had a, a property as a first home, they've got a mortgage on that property, and they've now you know, perhaps got married or are living with a partner, and perhaps they have a bigger home that's their main residence, but they've hung on to that property and uh, they've rented it out. Now, if they're a higher rate or an additional rate taxpayer, they're no longer getting full tax relief on the interest on that mortgage. So in recent years, that's affected landlords and there've been all sorts of people trying to do all sorts of things in order to, to... Continue to be able to claim that interest. One thing is they bought properties in limited companies and this sort of thing. So landlords are being squeezed on the tax deductibility of the interest. So that's created a problem for landlords. But we talked earlier about how inflation has caused interest rate rises. I think I read in the Telegraph interest rates were looking at nearly being 6% by the end of the year. That's what the Telegraph was saying today. So, you know, if your interest rate on your buy to let has gone from less than 2%, to over 5%, that could be a huge increase in your costs. And not only is it a huge increase in the cost, it's a cost that you're not getting tax deducted, you're not getting a tax relief for. So I'm seeing lots of clients, especially if they've got two or three of these and if they're heavily mortgaged on them, they're saying, look, it's just not making any money anymore. I'm not interested in it. And so they're saying, look, well, how does it work if I want to sell this property? So they are selling the properties. And there's a couple of things to say about that. Firstly, if you do have a buy to let that's been at one time your private residence, then you're going to be able to get an element of private residence relief. So you're not going to have to pay tax on all of the capital gain. And again, that can be quite complicated sometimes, particularly if people have complicated personal circumstances and moved in and out of properties and that sort of thing. There used to be a great relief called rental relief, but that's gone now, so you can't claim that. So first of all, people need advice on working out the capital gain to keep that to a minimum. The second thing is if you do make a capital gain on residential property in the UK, that needs now to be reported to the revenue online within 60 days of completing on the sale of the property. So that's quite important. And again, that's something that we help a lot of clients with these days. First of all, make sure they know about it because it's still relatively new. Not everybody knows about it. Make sure the online reporting is done properly and that they pay within 60 days. The tax rate here is 28%. Capital gains tax is 20%. We have the entrepreneur's relief, which takes it down to 10% sometimes, but capital gains on residential properties, including buy-to-lets, properties you've inherited, it's 28%. So there's some of the issues that I'm seeing all the time now surrounding buy-to-let properties. These issues are being forced on them by less tax relief on the buy-to-let sector and interest rates going through the roof, not just on the buy-to-let sector, but everywhere. And landlords are saying, this business is no longer profitable for me. Let's sell. How do I sell? What's the tax if I sell? They're the issues that I'm seeing all the time now on these types of properties, Tommy.
0: Another really common question that we get, and I'm sure you do as well. Is it a good idea to put my furnished holiday let into a limited company?
1: Okay. well, I bring that topic up. Normally it isn't, to be honest. Furnished holiday lets, if they're proper furnished holiday lets and comply with the rules, have good tax advantages. First of all, an individual will get full tax relief on interest on a loan taken out to buy a holiday let, and they will get tax relief at their highest marginal rate. So if they're losing their personal allowances, effectively 60%, or 45 or 40 or whatever their marginal rate of tax is. And also, when you sell a furnished holiday let, you pay capital gains tax at 10%. So why are we talking about limited companies? Well, the reason that I mention it is a specific example which I thought covered off a few things that I often talk about. One, it talks about the flexibility of limited companies and how if your individual circumstances are just so, sometimes it will make sense to do things through a limited company. Now, I had a client, they were both NHS consultants, so they were quite well off, and they had identified a buy-to-let property that they wanted to buy. I think it was in Cornwall. And this was going to be quite a profitable buy-to-let. I don't know if they're doing Airbnb or not. But Airbnb, same rules as furnished holiday lets effectively. So they were going to buy this property and we were talking to them. And they also had children who were at university and we do this all the time. So the idea was for the limited company to buy the furnished holiday. Now, those furnished holiday let profits, if they had been done as individuals, yes, they would have got the interest deduction. They still get the interest deduction in the limited company. But they would have been paying forty-five percent tax on those profits, and I think the profit might have been something like forty or fifty thousand a year. So it's quite substantial in this case. So we put it in a limited company, and we made the shareholders of that limited company the two consultant doctors plus their adult children, and of course the adult children had what we call alphabet shares that I've spoken about before on the podcast, I'm sure. And the idea then was for the furnished holiday let. To pay its corporation tax and then distribute its profit as a dividend, but the dividend would go to the adult children. Again, it's important that they're adult children, rather than the doctors. And so, rather than pay tax at probably forty percent on a dividend, just under forty percent, they'd probably be paying at either zero or eight and three quarter percent. And of course, the kids can do whatever they want with the money. What what I think the doctors wanted them to do was to pay university fees and things like that. So. Generally, I wouldn't be buying a furnished holiday let in a limited company. But if your circumstances are such, as I've just outlined, I know that won't be everybody's circumstances. I mean, for one thing, it's great to be able to get an Airbnb that's going to return you forty or £50,000 profit in a year. That's terrific. But I've seen a few of those, you know, in Worthing on the south coast. I've got clients that, you know, amazed how much they can make. So yeah, if your circumstances are right, then you know, this is the beauty of limited companies. They're very flexible. They allow us to distribute income around a family often. And so if your circumstances are right, then I would buy a furnished holiday let in a limited company. But generally you would be wanting to buy a furnished holiday let in your in an individual name, not in a corporate name.
0: That is super interesting. I did not know that, so that's awesome. Another one that I have no idea to the answer to this question, so I'm looking forward to your answer. Is should I be charging VAT on my holiday let?
1: Well, if you're over the VAT threshold, which is eighty-five thousand, you should be because residential lets. This came up, I think, in the same instance actually. Residential lets, resident. You know, if you've got a buy-to-let landlord, you'd never register for VAT. Residential lets are exempt from VAT. That's a basic thing. Furnished holiday lets, though, are not. And if you do have a furnished holiday let and you charge rent, you probably don't charge VAT, but that's probably because you're under the VAT threshold. If you've got one of these super-duper Airbnbs that's charging a lot of money in the right spot and you're charging in excess of 85000 or if you've got a couple of holiday lets and you're charging maybe 40 or 50 on each in a year, then you can go over the VAT threshold. And furnished holiday let is like a hotel. You've got to charge VAT. So again, just watch out for that. Again, I know it's not common, but you know some people who do go into these can get into this situation. It's not all bad news. I had someone who had a lot of building work to do on a furnished holiday let property. I think it was an Airbnb. And of course, they could claim the VAT back on the building work. So that was great for them. But generally, that's something you need to look out for. And people aren't very aware of it. So... Again, there's no – if the VAT man comes along, there's no excuse. I didn't know about that. They will want their VAT and a penalty if you haven't dealt with it properly.
0: Awesome. OK. Do I need to pay UK tax on income from my overseas holiday
1: life? Well, you do. Again, a couple of things which I've had recently. I had two doctors. One, I think, had a holiday home in Ibiza. One had a holiday home in Italy. And they'd been renting these out only in a small way – I think one of them, the one in Italy, had been paying tax in Italy on that. But this is the rule. You know, if you're a UK resident, if you're a UK resident, you're taxable on your worldwide income and capital gains. So if you've got rents in Italy, for example, even if you're paying tax in Italy, it's still got to go on your UK tax return. Now, we have a double tax agreement with Italy, which means that you'll get credit for the tax that you've paid in Italy. This chap, I think, in particular, who was a 40% taxpayer in the UK, pay 20% tax to the Italian government. So in the UK, he had to pay the addition, the difference between 40 and 20. This is, this is something that I don't know whether is misunderstood. I can easily see why a taxpayer, if they think they're paying tax in Italy, surely they think I don't have to pay tax in the UK as well. But it's cut and dried. If you're a UK resident, you're taxable on your worldwide income. And so it needs to be reported. Again, I have some clients who have property in the subcontinent, in India and Pakistan. And again, it's the same thing. Your worldwide income needs to be reported in the UK. And if you don't report it, you know, you probably have to pay interest and penalties. If And the penalties can be substantial, particularly if it's unprompted, by which I mean particularly if the revenue find out about it and ask you about it rather than the other what you tell the revenue about it. So, again, just to remind people, this is something that you do have to do. And, you know, if you have any query about it, ask your accountant or your tax advisor. I'm sure they'll tell you, you know. To, so if you're UK resident, any income has to be reported.
0: Yeah. And I guess a related question to that is if you're selling your overseas holiday home, what are the UK tax implications? Well, I'll
1: tell you, this, this wasn't actually a sale of a holiday home. This was a doctor, was a retired surgeon who had a super property actually in Spain, and he wanted to give this to his daughter, And he asked me about it. In fact, his financial advisor brought me in and asked me about it and said, look, is there any tax implication if we give this property away? And he was amazed by my answer. And I think a lot of people would be. If you give a property, a holiday home to your daughter, you just give it to her, there wasn't a mortgage on this or anything, then the revenue treat that as if you sell it to her at market value. So he was amazed that by giving away a property to his daughter in in Spain, I think this was, He was going to have a capital gains tax liability, but you do. So that's important. Giving away a property like that to somebody you're connected with, I mean, you wouldn't give it away to anybody if you weren't connected with them anyway, would you? So giving it away to a member of your family, you have a tax liability. And he had a tax liability. The property was owned half by him and half by his wife. So his wife had to do a tax return to report this tax liability. They had to pay some tax on it in Spain as well. And so they, but they got credit for the tax in Spain. So that wasn't a problem. So again, just, you know, it's one of those things that I think this doctor just couldn't imagine that it was possible he would have to pay tax on that. But he did. And actually, it's a potentially exempt transfer for inheritance tax as well. But so again, just to to mention that to people, because this chap, very nice fellow, was so amazed that he'd have to pay tax when he wasn't getting any money for the property, but he did.
0: Yeah, okay. I'm slightly reluctant to do this because national insurance is Ed's favourite topic. And I know why it's important, but it's not the most interesting. But you did ask me to remind you about national insurance. So if you've listened this far, you're going to get a bonus here. National insurance, Steve. (laughs) Well, all I'd
1: say is there's, I mean, obviously lots of doctors are going to be in the NHS pension scheme. But if they want to make sure, or if their spouses or partners want to make sure that they've paid the correct amount into the state pension scheme... And if you haven't done so, perhaps you've worked abroad, perhaps you've had absences from work. Then you've got until July, if you wish, to check online and look at what your state pension is. Look if you have missed national insurance years. And then before July, you can catch up with that and make sure that your state pension is, you know, is as good as you might want it to be. I mean, your state pension, again, is index linked. It is guaranteed. So again, a good pension, you know, it's over £10,000 a year, I think, next year or this year, I'm not sure. So again, if if you think you might have not paid the right NI contributions and you're not going to get the state pension, you've got an opportunity to sort that out before July this year if it's relevant to you. So that's your bonus for everybody. Thank
0: you. That is a really good bonus. It's something we've been banging on about for ages. And it's really simple to check it out. You just go onto your personal tax account. You can log in and it just shows you... There, HMRC personal tax account, actually a nice bit of software that works from HMRC. So that is a great bonus. Steve, thank you so much for your time. I'll put your contact details down below. And thank you so much for coming on and answering so many questions in such a short succession of
1: time. That's great, I have enjoyed it, lovely. Thanks very much, Tommy, thank you.